your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Xavier bats in motion. He gets the flip on the jet motion. There he goes. 40, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Xavier Betts finds the end zone, and the Huskers now lead it 16-3. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are another night of Sports Alley on a Tuesday night. Thank you so much for spending some of your evening with us tonight. Another day of welcome one, say goodbye to another for Husker football. Yesterday it was the departure of Wandale Robinson, but then a transfer from Montana comes in. Today, Diedrich Mills decides he's going to give it a shot for the National Football League. Go try to play some pro football. And as Tim told you in the ticker, Marquis Stepp from USC announcing he's transferring to Nebraska, former four-star back from Indianapolis. So one of those days there, we're going to talk about that and a lot more with Sam McEwen coming up here in a little bit from the Omaha World Herald. He covers Husker football for that publication. We'll have a women's basketball radio show for you coming up on hour number two. Amy Williams will be sitting down with Matt Cotney. The Huskers have won three of their last four. They're off until Saturday when they play Ohio State. So we'll have that for you in hour two. So if you have some thoughts, questions, comments for the head coach, get them all ready for hour number two. Top ten Tuesday, we'll have that for you in the third hour. We'll talk to women's gymnastics coach Heather Brink also in the third hour of the program. And as always, phone lines open and available for you at 531-500-4686 or that same number doubles up as our U.S. Cellular text line. U.S. Cellular proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers. U.S. Cellular connecting Husker Nation. All right, Ben, let's start with uh, Diedrich Mills. We, we mentioned it. We've mentioned it several times over the last week or so that we've been awaiting his decision whether he would take advantage of the rule to come back for a sixth year, or would he go uh, try his hand at playing professional football? I've been of the mindset that he was probably going to go. Not surprised, hoping that he might come back, but not surprised at all that that's the decision that he came to. Yeah, not surprised either. I think that something that's important here to remember is the the lifeline of running backs uh, in in the NFL – and just how short short of a, a leash a lot of those guys have based on the wear and tear on their bodies. So I think, you know, Diedrich, especially with his style of running, um, you know, and, and the, the situation here at Nebraska, I, I feel like he got uh, everything that he could have out of this place. And, you know, for him to, to move forward isn't, isn't all that surprising. I, I sure would have loved to have had him around for another year. Diedrich was – a young man that came to Nebraska with quite a bit of demons, Greg. This was a, a guy that had um, a, a bit of a troubled past and, and was looking for somebody to give him a second chance. He found that in junior college at Garden City and he needed somebody to take a chance on him at the next level to prove that what he did uh, in the Jayhawk conference was was legit and that he could build off of that and that that's what happened and ryan held built built a relationship with him Diedrich had a lot of trust in this staff and i think even when he came to nebraska he was still doing a fair amount of growing as a person and you know Diedrich was very open about his battle with mental health and 
you know, what, what the sports psychology department at the University of Nebraska did for him. So just as important on the field was it to have Diedrich Mills. I think, you know, him off the field w- was just as important for his psychological well-being for somebody who's been through so much in his college career. So happy for him, wishing him not- nothing but the best, and, you know, hoping that, you know, this decision works out for him and he at least gets a look at the next level. I think he will. I think he has the measurables that will give him a chance to make it, whether he will or not. Time will tell. I mean, Divina Zigbo has hung around for a couple of years in the NFL. He hasn't really made a huge contribution, but he's been getting the paycheck, and that's what it's kind of all about if you're going to try to play some professional sports is get checks. Uh, Divine's been able to do that. I think Diedrich will have a chance. Diedrich has to feel like it was a zillion years ago that he was in high school, right? I mean, spent a couple of years at Georgia Tech, then goes to Garden City, and then a couple of years in Lincoln. He's probably like, whew. I'm an old man already. I think that probably factored into it. That internal clock that athletes have no is ticking. You don't. It's not an eternal clock. There is. There's so many sands in the hourglass, and I think that factored into Diedrich's decision that if he's going to get a try at the NFL, you you got to get going because they don't they don't like a lot of aging running backs, and so I think that's was part of his thought process in this. And again, and I said this last night of all the decisions that have been made in the last couple of weeks. The Doman one probably has surprised me the most. The Wandale one hurts the most because you were, even though we'd heard rumblings about it, you were hoping that that wasn't going to be true, but it was. This one, I, I was in the same way that Matt Farniak, who made the decision late last night, uh, another one that was semi predictable. The other half of this equation is what who's entering the program, right? And Tim had this in the ticker, ticker with Marquise Step from USC, former four star. From Big Ten country, I think that's important. He's from Indianapolis, so he grew up probably watching a lot of Big Ten football. Had a decent career, not a huge career at USC, but USC's gone to more of a spread attack and really doesn't really focus on the run game as much as Nebraska does. And I know Husker fans argue about this, whether the run game's important in Nebraska. It is, and we documented that a couple of weeks ago when Austin pulled those numbers that in the last two years, Nebraska football – uh, has been second and third in the Big Ten in rushing. Uh, that may surprise people, but that's that's what the numbers are. They've been second and third in the league in rushing the football, so it is important here at Nebraska. And I think Step sees that. He also sees a tremendous opportunity to come in here and get some carries. And this guy's put together pretty well, Ben. You go look at his. He's a, he's a thick back. He's a guy that can go get you yards between the tackles. Yeah, this is a thumper. This is a guy that's going to lower his shoulder and run you over. And, you know, not entirely dissimilar to Diedrich, but the, he's a physical dude. And you know what's interesting about this is I didn't I didn't expect Nebraska's running backs, the best running backs under Coach Frost through, um, you know, his few seasons at Nebraska to be built like this. I, I expected it to be, you know, the, the Otis Andersons and the Adrian Killens type backs that he had at UCF that we would see back there. But, you know, think about it. Divina Zigbo and Dedrick Mills, I mean, I think we all knew what type of player Maurice Washington could have been had he stuck around. I think he, he was probably in that category by himself. But, um, you know, maybe maybe guys more like Ramirez is what I expected them to look like, but instead it turns out that the the most effective types of backs, at least in the offense that they're running at Nebraska, are are these bigger guys, and and Step is definitely that. It's funny how sometimes, um, you know, just weird situations kind of fall into your lap. We were in, um, 
I, th- I want to say we were in Champaign, Illinois on a Friday night. I, and, and I, and I, and I want to say that Utah was playing USC, and I was mm-hmm. watching the game in the hotel room, and they had this running back, this, this, this young running back, and he was just running over guys from Utah. And I go, who is this guy? It was Marquis Stepp. And I remember him because I because when when we were, when he was even first talked about, I was like, "Is that the kid from Indy?" Because I remember on that broadcast they were talking about him being from Indianapolis on a Friday night. I'm like, "That's kind of strange that they get a a running back from Indianapolis at USC." Well, this kid's really good, you know. Like, so it's just ironic that that just so happens to, to be that he ends up at Nebraska. Um, but you know, obviously at USC he. You know the the role that he had there. He was l- looking for a bit of an expanded role, and you know I know that I know that that Colin Miller is familiar with him. I know they at least know each other from similar um, parts of the country in Indiana. He was once a, a Notre Dame commit uh, before he committed to USC. Ultimately, decided to go out west. And so, based on the few quotes that we heard from him earlier today, he did give one interview. It sounds like that the that the fit of what Nebraska was looking for and what he was looking for, it was it was the perfect fit for him to to come here and, and try and make a name for himself and and to just put his head down and work hard. So it, it stinks losing Diedrich. I, I think he, you know, probably wished this season had gone a little differently. But to get a guy in here that was a former four star and you know the number fourteen running back in the country at one time in high school to come agree to play here. I think, I think the coaches are, are probably satisfied with that. So intrigued, interested to see how he does, hoping he gets that waiver with that. The NCAA seems to be handing out on the way out the door of universities anyway. So where he's eligible next year, but you know, I'm excited to see what he can do. And I'm excited that Nebraska has kind of an experience back back considering all the youth that they have in that room. So um, I hope Ryan Held can can make this guy into a player and Nebraska can have a formidable tailback when the season starts. Nebraska can put together a pretty good tape, and I think they probably did that for Step, saying, look how we use Divine, look how we use Mills, that's your role. That's what you're going to do. And I'm sure he probably was excited about that, particularly when he looked at the number of carries those guys got when they were healthy and active and ready to go. They're gonna, you're going to get the football. You're going to get fed the football. He had only 100 carries in, in three years at SC, uh, 500 yards, so average five yards a tote, six touchdowns. He, his high game this year was at Arizona. I think he had 82 yards against Arizona this year. But the way they're running their offense now with that spread, they're not running the ball very much. Nebraska will run it more than what he was at SC. And I think he sees that um, that trend. And, again, Nebraska can certainly show that to him and uh, feel like that's going to be the way it is for the Huskers to uh, to make, a, make some hay on this whole thing. All right, national championship game. The college football season is in the books. And, man, was Bama good last night. And I don't think anybody who watched that, Ben, was surprised with how dominant they were were uh you just can't stop them and we rattled that off several times over the last few weeks best quarterback in the country best running back in the country best wide receiver in the country best center best offensive lineman best offensive line I mean all those things it's just it's too much for somebody on the other side to stop it was a perfect storm for Alabama on that offensive side of the ball they hang over half a hundred on on Ohio State last night who was down some bodies because of COVID that certainly didn't help them out at all so, um, yeah, it, it was kind of predictable the way it went. That was one heck of an Alabama football team that we saw compete this season. Yeah, I mean, it just 
maybe maybe the best Alabama team ever. You know, when when, it, when you think about it, and that offense is is just nothing to play around with. And you know, I put out a tweet last night to think how scared I was going into the first week of the season with Nebraska, knowing where Ohio State was as a program and all the talent they had on the on that side of the ball, and just knowing how far ahead of of, of Nebraska Ohio State was. It was scary. It was a scary thought. Mm-hmm. But then to see how far Alabama was of that team, I mean, it, it was a complete, complete perspective changer, Greg, of the, just the stratosphere that that football team is on right now. You know, like that, that, that was like Nebraska was like the, the eighth grader that tried to play with the high schooler in, in, in Ohio State. And Ohio State was, was the high school that tried to play with the college boys in Alabama. You know, it just, just yeah. completely different playing fields. And that's not necessarily a knock on Nebraska as it is because most of the teams in the country are like that, you know, uh, maybe somewhere in between the, the camp of Ohio State and Nebraska. But, man, that, that was impressive. And, and I think the biggest thing that I take away from last night's game is Devontae Smith could have named his number last night had he not hurt his finger. I mean, that, that he he could have gone for 400. He could have gone for 20 catches. And, you know, just unbelievable, unbelievable effort that – and I don't even think Ohio State played bad defensively. I mean, those guys up front gave it everything they had. Najee Harris talked about it after the game that, you know, Ohio State did a lot better job up front defensively than they thought they would, and especially running the football. They had a hard time doing it. But when you've got – freaks like that out there on the field and Jalen Waddles even trying to play through a broken ankle it's you just tip your cap they earned it they deserved it and they were the best team by far in the country this year they sure were I'd love and I said this last night I would love to see that Bama team play last year's LSU team because they were a load as well and it's just a whole group of talent it's a topic and we're not going to really have time tonight to get into it too much but what we've started to see in college football is kind of the same programs are making the playoff year after year after year. The Clemsons, the Ohio States, the Bamas, the Oklahomas. You know, every now and then you get somebody else that jumps in there. But if you want to see the, the, the playoffs expand, this might be your best avenue and your art best argument because maybe if you expand it, you could spread the talent out a little bit more. Because right now I think they're all going, man, I want to play for a title. I can go to Bama or Clemson or Ohio State. Those are the three that I think are going to be there pretty much every year, and they kind of have been since we've gone to uh, to the playoff format a couple of years ago. But we'll, we'll get into that on a different night because we've just got a, a bunch coming our way here tonight to, to get into and discuss. Tim also mentioned Husker basketball for Saturday has already been postponed, so that's two games this week that will not happen. Illinois tomorrow, Maryland on Saturday. Who knows how far out it may go from here, so that's going to put Nebraska down three games already in the season with the Purdue game that got banged last week or postponed last week. You just kind of wonder where they're going to be able to make these games up. It's going to be like an NBA schedule for this team in February. So obviously the news wasn't any better today when they went through their daily testing uh, for Husker basketball. All right, busy show coming up here tonight. Uh, When we come back, Sam McEwen, Omaha World Herald. He will join us next. On a Tuesday night of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Greg Sharp with you and delighted to be joined now by Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. You can read Sam's work also online at Omaha.com. Never a dull moment. Is there Sam covering Husker football? Boy, the last 24 hours have been wild, haven't they? They have, yeah. You know, it's um, it has been. And you, you it is never dull. You hope 
there comes a time when it is a little more uh, because, you know, you, you don't want players to, to leave prematurely. But they've added uh, two really interesting players. Um, and, uh, you know, Diedrich Mills was supposed to leave. Matt Barniak was kind of supposed to leave. I think we all kind of knew that was coming. And they've added two really interesting players. And then, of course, they lost Wandale. So it's been, yeah, it's been really, really busy. Uh, and really, really busy. Do the additions that they've added, does that soften the blow of Wandale, or is that still just a stain on the program in your eyes? Well, you know, I think um, Samori Ture is, 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 a, is a good player. Uh, I think he is going to be a really good addition to the team. Probably wasn't going to play the same position as Wandale, um, and so he's a really good addition. Marquis Step, I think, they're going to need him. Now, hopefully they get him eligible because they really need him. Like he is, uh, you know, Diedrich Mills is a loss in the sense that, you know, if, if he had wanted to come back, I think Nebraska would have been okay with him coming back. Uh, Steph's got big shoes to fill there and they need him. Uh, so that's a big, that's a big addition. Wendell Robinson, I think hurts uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, he was a guy that obviously Nebraska cared about, um, you know, they had him talking at, at their facility groundbreaking or their facility announcement. Um, you know, they put him in some of their in some of their uh, hype videos. Uh, uh, he he, I think for many people was considered one of the leaders of that 2019 class, along with Luke McCaffrey and maybe Quentin Newsom and and uh, Garrett Nelson and a few others. Uh, and you know, so it is a big deal from the sense of he's a good player. I think he was probably Nebraska's best offensive player, most consistent offensive player this season, um, healthiest, too. Um, and he's a guy that I think most people identified as, as just a good kid and somebody who wanted to be here. Now, at the end of the day, I think there has always been, and you, you I think maybe you know this too, Greg, uh, there's always been some trepidation from the people in his camp that he was going to be used the way they wanted him to be used at Nebraska that predates, honestly, his commitment to Nebraska. And I, I don't really think those issues ever really went away. And, and, and honestly, that's not, that's not on Wandale and not really on Nebraska's coaching staff. I, I think it was just an ongoing issue and um, kind of came, came to a head again. And um, I think winning more games probably would have helped. But, but, you know, that, that's always been there. And, and that's a tough thing that you got to deal with in today's in today's uh, college athlete atmosphere. It's just different than it was 20 years ago. Busy with Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. Again, you can read his work online at omaha.com. We talked about not a slow time. I'm not sure we're going to have slow off seasons anymore, Sam, because of the transfer portal. I think there's over 1,200 names in it right now. Don't you think this will be more the norm than what we've been used to in past off seasons? I do. I think it will be more the norm, and the better you get, uh, let's say Nebraska's trajectory goes way, way up. What happens is guys leave for the NFL. And, you know, so it, it's going to be that way either way. I mean, Alabama's going to have a busy, you know, 10 days here with, you know, 17 guys leaving for the NFL and uh, six guys transferring, um, you know, all that stuff. So Alabama's going to be busy too in their own way. Ohio State's going to be really busy. Uh, they got a lot to address very quickly. Uh, and I know they want to take a break. So it's going to be this way for every college football program. Um, you know, it it's just how it's going to be with the transfer portal. Eventually the NCAA will approve. 
the one-time free transfer, which will which will help the process uh, a little bit in terms of getting guys in and out of the portal. I think eventually, not this year, you'll see the NCA kick that thing from 25 to 30, or they'll say you can withhold five extra scholarships per year to give the transfers, which will help the portal. Um, and then eventually you're going to have NIL. And when you have NIL, one of the things that can happen is you can say, look, you're, you're a backup at school A. Uh, if you come to our school, well, we've got this NIL package for you, and you're going to play here. Um, I mean, Marquis Stepp uh, is is a good player. I mean, he he got hurt a lot at USC, and that's something you got to watch. But but he could have gone to other schools than Nebraska. I think he's coming to Nebraska in part because he sees an opportunity at Nebraska uh, that is just right there. And the same with Samori Ture, who who was very honest about that. He's like, well. The opportunity at Nebraska is greater than it is anywhere else. And uh, he has a chance to come in and catch 60, 70 passes, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I, I think he can really do that. Uh, so, you know, opportunity helps when, when it's available, and for those two guys it was. Sounds like the team is supposed to be back next week. We're still waiting on some guys, right? We're still waiting on hearing what Ben Stilley is going to officially do or Will Honus. It, I mean, your job, you may, still be, you may still be working it pretty good here the next four or five days, don't you think? No question. So Stilly, Honus, Markel Dismuke, and Deontay Williams still have decisions to announce. Um, Nebraska has two more scholarships. I don't, I don't know that they're going to give any of those away right now. I think they got the two guys that they want. Uh, oh, you just never know. If the right corner came in, you know, you never know. The right safety, maybe you do it. Uh, and then I think they're saving one potentially for Avante Dickerson who still hasn't signed and nobody really knows what he's doing other than mulling his options over. And then there's a possibility uh, that there's going to be some guys that say, you know, I, I don't really want to go through spring camp because I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to play at Nebraska. And, you know, I mean, there's always guys that do that. Um, and then there's another group of guys that do that after spring camp when the coaches mm-hmm. sit them down and say, Hey, listen, we're not going to take away your scholarship. You need to know you're fifth on the depth chart. And if you want to go play somewhere, you may want to explore that. And so there's there's a period of attrition before, and they lost Keen Green, and I don't maybe there was somebody else in there. And so there might be a, one or two more of those. And then after spring camp, there's another three or four because they realize that, you know, they're not going to play. And then you add another guy or two. So, it's yeah, it's it's like an NFL offseason now. I yeah. mean, there's guys getting signed. and um, I will say this, that I, I think Nebraska has gone from – when they got to campus, I think they were really aggressive and saying, hey, we need to fill these depth, the depth at these positions and get the roster up. And, boy, we're down all over the place. And, you know, the, the, the former coach only signed 18 guys one year. So they were pretty aggressive. I think they're choosier now, and I think that's a good thing because I think there were some players along the way that were recruited that probably just didn't fit Nebraska and just didn't fit what their coaches were looking for in terms of work ethic and maybe didn't really fit, you know, going to school at Nebraska. And Frost alluded to that in, I don't know, mid-November, late November maybe. And I think, he, you know, they've had probably more turnover than they wanted, and I think some of that is related to, well, we were trying to get our roster numbers up because they were so far down when they got there and you got to take some chances. And I think they're at the point now where they don't have to take nearly as many flyers. They can be a little choosier. And I think they're, I think that the last two classes, 
the last class for sure. This 2021 class is a choosier class, and I think you're going to find that a lot of these guys not only play eventually, but I think they're going to be they're going to be pretty tight. Uh, you know, ironically because of the, the pandemic, but they're pretty tight, and I think you're going to see Nebraska kind of hone its recruiting style a little bit more as time goes on. Busy with Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. You had a week or so ago a chance to talk to the Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Yeah. What what stood out to you after you had that conversation with the commish? Well, you know, I think he, he's come a long way in five or six months in his not only uh, his openness to communicating because I mean it was there was nothing six months ago and it was disappointing and you know we talked to the Big Ten about it and I, they hired a crisis communication firm and all this stuff. So he's more open, and I think he also kind of came into the interview prepared to talk about Nebraska. Um, he had a lot to say about his history here, uh, you know, knowing Nebraska you know, through Will Shield. He's been to a number of games as a fan. I mean, not as an administrator of any kind. Um, you know, knows a lot of Husker fans. So he came in knowing that, you know, he wanted to say some things that um, – reflected his warmth for Nebraska. Um, you know, those were good words. I think you got to watch and see what happens in terms of actions. I think he bristled a little bit when, and you got to ask this of like, well, do you, do you feel like you're kind of controlled by the presidents and chancellors and you're not, you're not, you're not putting the athletic director's thoughts enough in play. And, you know, he's like, well, look, you know, we've grown and, um, I don't think anybody had a playbook for this. and no, I, There's nobody I could have gone and asked about it. And That's true. It was his first year, and that's tough. And, um, but, you know, there's hurdles still to go. I mean, there's there's still hurdles. I, 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 you know, they don't have a definitively good answer about why you can't have fans at the basketball games. They got them in the Big East. They got them in other leagues. Uh, I don't think there's a good answer there. I don't think there's a good answer about. I mean, you're you're gonna you're gonna call baseball, Greg. If they go with an all conference uh, schedule, I mean, how's the Big Ten gonna get more than one or two teams in the NCAA tournament? Um, how are they gonna do that? And he doesn't know the answer to that question. I'm not sure that anybody's really thought. Like, it's not volleyball and baseball. Baseball, you got to go play SEC teams and ACC teams to build up your RPI. It's not like volleyball. And so if they go with a conference-only schedule in baseball, you know, and they're going to hurt their NCAA tournament chances. And so figuring that out, why, you know, not playing maybe till March, and so he doesn't have an answer necessarily for that. I still think there's hurdles to clear, but it was a good first conversation. And one thing that didn't really make it into the stories because it was part of an initial conversation we had that wasn't an interview is the national media narrative is not speak for me. And he said that a couple of different times that he felt like there were moments where, you know, the national media went after Nebraska and that made it sound as if it was coming from Kevin Warren. He's like, that wasn't coming from me. So for whatever it's worth, that that's kind of his perspective. And he wasn't trying to orchestrate that behind the scenes with Desmond Howard or anyone else. Um, he's, he was pretty adamant about that. And I think that's worth passing on. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Is is the relationship strained? Do you think either way? I mean, obviously, the, the, yeah, I think it had to be. There had to be some hurt feelings with some of the conversations that took place back in particularly August and September. But you feel like he he feels like that's repairable, huh? 
Well, you know, I think, um, so he kept using this phrase, healthy tension, enough that, you know, again, it's probably something he came up with. But but it's also, I think it's kind of how he looks at things, where he he kind of wants to hash it out and isn't afraid to, you know, uh, uh, kind of put everything on the table. And, um, you know, so I, I think there's a sense there that, I don't want to take this stuff personally. Now he's overcome some stuff in his life. Now, he almost got killed in a car accident when he was a kid and he was in kind of a cast for a long time. Um, so he had overcome some things that I, honestly, I don't, couldn't imagine. Um, and then his parents were, you know, pillars of their community in Phoenix. Uh, his dad was a military man who then turned into a Fiesta Bowl official and was a, you know, college administrator, just, just an extraordinary guy. And, um, so I think he's pretty tough in the sense that like, I don't think this thing is going to, to make him feel like, well, I can't ever make it back up. Um, I don't, I wouldn't describe him as insecure or anything. So I think he feels like, well, Hey, we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll, you know, uh, we'll, we'll mend the fences and we'll get over our hurt feelings and, um, now again, it, it, it comes down to not what you say, but, but how you do it and how you communicate. I think he's better at the communicating. He's talking to more people now and it's not just getting leaked through a couple of national sources, but, uh, he needs to get to Nebraska. He said he wants to come and see a volleyball game. Uh, he wants to come see a baseball game, football. He'd have to wait to obviously the spring game. Uh, but, but he wants to come see that. And he said he wants to come see a basketball game. And, you know, my response back to him was, you know, PBA is a special place when it's got fans in it. When it's empty, it feels a little strange. And I think it might, you know, my thought was, well, when, when are you going to get fans back in these arenas? I said, because, and he agreed with this. I said, the basketball arenas are stranger than the football stadiums were. Um, it just feels weird. And it does. Like, PBA is a different place. And I think Fred probably would have had a win over Indiana on Sunday if he had had a fans there. It's just hmm. it's so hard to sustain and generate your energy. And the other goofy thing that I've mentioned a couple times is these basketball teams that come in, these Big Ten blue blood programs, they bring about 50 guys. I'm not kidding. Michigan State had 50, it felt like. And they're louder than Nebraska because they just got more people. I mean, they, yeah. the, the financial investment that they put in these programs is insane. And they feel, it looks like they got 12 managers and 16 guys on the team. It's crazy. And so they're, they're louder than Nebraska at these games. And I'm like, this is where the fans um, would really help. And so, you know, he doesn't have an answer for that. He's like, well, we evaluate it every week. And I'm like, well, okay. You know, but again, the Big East, which is not a league uh, of uh, what, what do you want to call it? I mean, they're not a willy-nilly, knee-jerk, uh, wild hair league i mean it's a it's, it's georgetown and creighton and marquette and st john's and i mean we're talking you know button up schools it's all in the sweater vest for goodness sakes they're letting fans in their arenas <laughs> i'm like yeah. you got these giant institutions and they can't figure it they can't figure that out how to get two thousand fans in there um so i think that's the you know it you're just bears worth watching right like it he can say a lot of things, and he said a lot of good things. It's just what are the actions going to show going forward? And this isn't just for Nebraska. This is for the whole Big Ten because the guy that the athletic directors probably would have been very, very happy with hiring, Jim Phillips, 
is now the ACC commissioner. And the, the, the chancellors and presidents wanted to hire Warren. And there's, there's reasons for that. And I think he's got some interesting initiatives that he wants to pursue that aren't all bad. Um, I think he's probably ahead of the curve on the, on the um, what do you want to call it, the, the mental, mental health front because uh, and Nebraska is too I mean Nebraska and him are in sync on this because Nebraska is ahead of the curve there. so he's got some he's got some good ideas um, but but they've got it they've got to make sure that everybody's on the same page and um, we'll see what the next six months brings interesting Sam great stuff as always we appreciate it good to catch up uh, happy new year to you and uh, we'll we'll see you down hey. the road same here I just I just can't wait for <laughs> for football, spring football. And I'm looking forward to it. Take care. No doubt. Thanks. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Huskers move right to left. Fastball all the way across the floor. Ruby Porter for three. You betcha off a 30-foot skip from Izzy Gord. Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. Izzy Gord catches it, goes to work. Spins. Baker gives Nebraska the lead. Izzy's got 18. With the head coach, Amy Williams. Michigan State can tie with a triple. Deep right side, Winston. Steps into the three. It's blocked by Kate King. Cravens has the ball for Nebraska. Gets it to Whitney Brown and a foul. That might have won the game. That block shot might have won the game as Winston went up and Kate King got it with the fingertips of her left hand. That's the play of the game so far. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. There are a lot of people who would love to be Matt Coatney right now because it is fun being the voice of Husker women's basketball. They are the talk of Husker Nation right now. And good evening, friends. I am Matt Coatney. Amy Williams, the coach, joins us for the full hour here on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour, and we'll take your calls at 531-500-4686. That's also our U.S. Cellular Text line, Amy Williams, I can't go anywhere without people telling me when you talk to Coach Williams, tell her we love what she's doing. Are you, are you hearing all this stuff from the fans right now? <laughs> um, to be honest with you, Matt, we just really kind of try, we try as hard as we can to just, um, you know, be appreciative of Husker Nation all the time, you know, good, through the good, through the bad, you know, we've, we've had lots of uh, people that have just, uh, you know, been incredibly supportive. Um, and, and so we just try to make sure we keep that same appreciation through the highs, through the lows. And, um, and uh, you know, I think right now uh, I'm very proud of our team and I'm glad that, you know, Husker Nation is, um, is appreciative of the effort that they've been putting forth. But um, we're just going to try to stay as steady as we can. So. The phone number to talk to Coach Williams tonight is 531-500-4686. Nebraska has won three out of four. They came off a really good road trip to Michigan. They went to the state of Michigan and split two games against ranked teams uh, right there with 15th-ranked Michigan, 64-62, and knocking off the 23rd-ranked Michigan State Spartans on Sunday afternoon. You heard some of the highlights there. That was a complete team win. But I have to ask you this. You were in the state of Michigan for parts of five days, what in the world did you do when you guys weren't playing basketball? I mean, that's a, that's a long run. I mean, I was in the Navy for a while. I mean, I've had some deployments that didn't last that long. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's a little unique for us. You know, that was our second kind of extended road trip of the season and the way that the Big Ten Conference um, planned our schedule this year. Um, we will have one more uh, road trip just like that. And, and um, you know, the fortunate thing for us is those two long trips that we've had so far have taken place during the break where our kids were not having to miss extended time from school. But um, what's just unique about it then is to be on a trip like that and not have to plan any study halls in the mix uh, of that, you know, or, or any type of, you know, planned studying. It's It's been different, but I think, um, you know, we found plenty of time to watch um, film kind of in small groups and individually. Uh, we had plenty of um, practice time while we were there, but uh, there was quite a few. There's There's been some game nights and, um and, uh, you know, uh, the the little, uh, I don't know if you call it like, um, head, oh, what's it called? I don't even, one of the games on the phone where they, you know, it's kind of like gestures or something like that, you know, and, and um, the girls uh, just find a way to entertain and, and, um, and there's been lots of good bonding moments uh, with, with road trips like that. Now, I can't get too deep into this interview without asking you, about something that ended up on social media last night by your former teammate and my good friend Cisco Gilmore. It appeared to me to be a team schedule poster from, I want to say 1996, elegant and dignified ladies who all look so young, but the one thing is there was there was a, a guard on the front of the picture wearing this black dress that looks the same as she does now. You have not changed a bit, don't you think? <laughs> Where did Cisco um, find this? She put this if you if you go to go to at Huskers WBB on Twitter if you want to see and, and kind of scroll around. It is an exception. I mean I saw Jamie Cubic Hagedorn on there. I mean a lot of familiar names on there. Yes. Do, you, do you remember do you remember posing for that photo? I do remember. I do remember posing for that photo and all the stress that was going on as everybody was trying to find a black dress to wear for that picture and trying to, you know, be, you know, but, uh, you know, first of all, Cisco and I are fighting after her going and just posting that up on social media without, you know, um, asking first, but no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But I, you know, I was kind of teasing with her. I'm like, boy, we thought we were real cute. (laughs) And now I look back and it's just so funny. I don't know. I saw um, coach Kramer, one of my former uh, coaches here at Nebraska said, whose idea was that? I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but you know, it's pretty fun to, to reminisce and see all those, um, those faces of, of teammates that I loved so much. 531-500-4686. That's our uh, Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline. The Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Amy Williams is with us. It's been a while since we've had a Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour. Since the holiday break ended, and uh, you've played Northwestern, the Wreckers, Scarlet Knights, and then the two games in Michigan, you've won three of your last four. And uh, two of those were against ranked teams. The buzzer beater by Sam Hybe was something everybody was talking about all around the state. 
And it's it, it, what's been the difference because it just seems like your team has kind of found itself since the holiday break. In your mind, did, did anything specifically change, or, or what's been going on? Yeah, I I don't think there's anything just specific that we can kind of pinpoint other than, um, you know, I really think that um, our captains have done a good job of just kind of trying to raise the expectations and, uh, you know, continue to set the tone for our team and um, understand that every day, you know, our focus needs to be getting just a little bit better. Our, um, our commitment to, you know, scouting report defense, our commitment to, you know, what it is that needs to happen for our team to become the best version of ourselves. And I think, um, you know, everybody's been really buying into that. Our kids, you know, they work hard. They um, they get in the gym. They want to learn. They want to watch film. They want to get better. And um, that attitude has put us in a position to um, to show some improvements. And I think that's really um, what we've seen up to up to this point. Let's talk about the Northwestern game because that's uh, the the last game of calendar year 2020, and everybody was kind of ready to get rid of calendar year 2020 but you ended it on a great note here at the pinnacle bank arena and joe McEwen, a good friend of mine he's a philly guy uh, i hate not being in the gym because we usually have a great conversation about really anything before the game and you know he has got a couple of players who are potential all-americans veronica burton one of the best defensive players in the nation and he's got lindsey pulliam who a uh, great player out of the washington dc area you know, on paper, they came in ranked 15th. It seems like you play the 15th-ranked team in the country every week, depending on how the poll changes. Uh, and Nebraska was able to get the win. The game kind of went back and forth with just a tremendous play by Sam Hybe at the end of the game. And, you know, now that it's been a couple of weeks, has that win kind of given your team confidence? Like, hey, we, we can beat these top 15 teams. Like, let, let's go do it again. Yeah, I think there's no question that that was kind of a catalyst, you know, and and that game right there has given confidence to, um, to, you know, Sam, Izzy, Kate, our captains, but the rest of our team that, you know, we can get over the hump and the things that need to happen for us to, um, uh, you know, to, to have success and, and to be competitive. And, and so I think uh, no question about it, it was a important game. And um, in a close game like that, to come out with the win was, uh, was really, really important. And that makes um, Sam's shot even just a bigger deal than, than being the number one play on SportsCenter. So, you know, sometimes when I have stuff to talk to you about, I'll do it on the bus maybe on an airplane, in the coach's office, dinner. I don't ever see you. So I've, I've been dying to ask you this question anywhere but on a live sports talk show, but this is really our only chance to talk. So, Okay, so Sam gets the ball against Northwestern, uh, and you have a timeout, and she goes straight down the floor and misses the layup, gets the rebound, throws it up over her head, and scores. My radio call... Uh, and, and it just, you know, I'm, I'm calling when I said, I'm like, Nebraska is going to take a timeout and you didn't. And you've said a couple of times in your press conferences, you know, some people might be wondering, you know, why I didn't take a timeout. I hope you didn't think that my call was, I thought you should have taken a timeout, uh, because that's not what I meant by that. I think with the change in women's college basketball, 
I I think I see most coaches when it happened think they kind of have to, but we're seeing kind of a shift away from it. And you you've addressed it. And I, I kind of want to get your your thoughts on is that kind of a feel for the game, or now that we've had the uh, the the rule where you can advance the ball in the final minute a- after a dead ball or a, or a defensive rebound. Have you changed your feeling on that, or is it kind of a feel? Because I don't want you to think that, that I was saying you should have taken a timeout. It was just because of, of, of how women's basketball has evolved. So I've been meaning to ask you this, and so now I'm just going to ask yeah. you that now. No, yeah. I think, Matt, that my thoughts and feelings on it have have changed myself. I think, you know, probably uh, Amy Williams, head coach, four or five years ago would have most definitely in my um, control freak kind of nature would have most definitely taken a timeout. And I think, you know, in all of those situations, if you're tied, if you're down two, if you're down three, if you're down one, if you're up one, if you're, you know, all of those situations kind of warrant, you know, a different call in that moment. But with the game being tied, and um, with the flow of the game and the way Sam had been kind of playing and just, you know, rather than to take the time out and let that defense of Northwesterns get set. And to be honest with you, Veronica Burton and, and, um, and you know, their uh, kind of front line in that zone, they can make life real difficult just trying to get the ball back in bounds after a timeout. And so uh, with us being in a pretty good situation and the ga- game being tied and stuff, um, it was it was a conscious choice that, you know, um, we, we had kind of talked about as a staff. Coach Love was in my ear, and we we basically said, no, we're not going to take the time out here and let them set their defense and get ourselves going and, and put the ball in Sam's hands and see if we can't make a play. And, and then in that situation, a worst-case scenario, we're heading into overtime. But I think, um, you know, I think probably legitimately four or five years ago I would have – called a timeout and tried to, you know, really um, control the situation and draw things up for, you know, somebody to get, you know, a certain shot in a certain situation. And, and, um, you know, but I think it worked out well this time to uh, just let the game flow and keep the ball in Sammy's hands. And um, she, she went and took a really tough shot. I thought they made her take a really tough first mm-hmm. shot, but um, that stick to kind of attitude, uh, you know, to, to kind of uh, keep plunking away, get the rebound and throw it back up there. Um, you know, her dad, I know has been talking about um, that all the reverse Mike is paying off. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, well, it yeah. turned out great, and I've been meaning to ask you that. And, and I hope you don't think I was saying you should have taken the time out. It was my thought at the time no. because so many people do it. And what a great coaching decision you've had. Let's head to the phones. Let's go to the Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, 531-500-4686. Let's go to Plattsmouth, Nebraska, and talk to Drew. Drew, you're on with Coach Williams. Hey, Coach. I uh... Alexis Markowski is someone I followed pretty closely just because Andy, her dad, was such a great player for the Husker men's team. Um, And just seeing her development the last two to three years, it's just remarkable. And she's just been absolutely dominant here the last this season thus far. I think, I don't know if you saw, she had 42 and 22 rebounds a game and 37 in another game. Um, Just her improvement from last year is just uh, amazing. I, I'm just wondering how high of a ceiling do you think she has? And I mean, she's putting, she's as dominant as a player I've seen at this level since probably like Jess Shepard was. 
um, and we know how good she was. So how excited are you guys to have her and, and how much of a contributor do you think she's going to be here for the program going forward? So thank you. Yeah. Well, Drew, thank you uh, for calling in, and, and thanks for paying such close attention to um, Alexis. And, and I got to tell you, you know, we're just we're so excited that um, she's going to be a Husker. I think um, the best thing for um, Alexis is she has uh, been able to play her junior year and, and now so far, knock on wood, her senior year just um, healthy. And um, that has led to her continuing to just keep improving and improving and improving. And, and um, we saw that this summer. I think that, you know, this summer was huge for her because <clears throat> she had an opportunity to really play against some of the best post players and highest ranked post players in the country um, in tournaments in, you know, Ames and, and really kind of all over. And she was finding herself um, being pretty dominant in those games against some of the best in the country. And she just, I think that really just, um, you know, continued to, to, to fuel her confidence. And um, rightfully so. She's worked hard to uh, develop. She's uh, expanded her range. She's comfortable stepping away from the basket, but um, she continues to get better with just having soft hands and soft touch. And, and um, you know, she catches anything that people throw at her, you know, her ability. I think her volleyball uh, experience has really helped with her ability to kind of, you know, leave her feet at the right times to go catch, to make catches, tough catches, to get rebounds, to, um, you know, just really help. And I, I just, I think her improvement over the last year has been really special. And we think um, she still has um, continued room for growth um, into the future. So we couldn't be more excited about what um, Lex's future looks like in a Husker uniform. And, and just um, in the meantime, you know, I know she is just soaking up every moment of her senior season for Pius and really leading them to the one team, number one team in the state. And uh, it's just really exciting to watch. We're excited to watch her continued success and can't wait till she can transfer that over into a Husker uniform. We're back. Hour number three, Sports Nightly here on a Tuesday night. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Amy Williams along with Matt Cody. What a couple of weeks for them. And sounds like some good news. Players maybe getting healthy, getting back, and being able to get on the floor. That's what we want to hear. They're back in action again on Saturday against Ohio State at 4 o'clock. News for the men, not as good. Earlier today, Huskers announcing that the Maryland game called off because of COVID issues, so no game tomorrow with Illinois, no game Saturday with Maryland. The next scheduled action next Wednesday, uh, hosting Minnesota. Hopefully, keep your fingers crossed that that can happen then. All right, coming up this hour, Top 10 Tuesday, headed your way here in a couple of minutes, and we'll talk some Husker women's gymnastics. Coach Heather Brink will be along later on. They have their first duel of the season, Friday against Illinois at the Devaney Center. We'll get the breakdown on the 2021 Husker women's gymnastics team with Coach Brink later on in the hour. But let's get it going with the Top 10. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. All right, tonight, coming off the end of the college football national championship game, a 
triumphant one for Nick Saban. We thought, well, let's kind of grade out the top college football coaches of all time. I'll say this, guys. I I kind of I kind of went 1950 to present day. I didn't go all the way back. Maybe you guys were a little different, but I decided that was gonna I was gonna make my cutoff at 1950. I had a couple of older guys, but yeah, like 1910s left all the left all that off. Most of mine is is as recent as I I could think of. I just think it's hard to you know quantify the different eras of football and and you know. A lot of the a lot of the guys that I had thought of on this list were post nineteen around nineteen fifty as well. So um, I may have one or two that predates that, but but not not nothing crazy. I picked ex- exclusively coaches from like the mid eighteen fifties and sixties when it was arguably not even American football. So we'll just have an interesting <laughs> list here, won't we? No, uh, you'll put your guy Y A Tittle in this. Year, <laughs> yeah, so he's in there. there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I came up with this one, so I'm going to lead us off. If that's right with you boys. Uh, my number 10, I'm going to John McKay, the great coach at USC from 1960 to 1975. During that 15-year period, he won four national championships at a really impressive uh, winning percentage, 127 wins in those 15 seasons. USC had kind of struggled for a while. They really, I mean, even though they they lived in that population rich area of los angeles they just couldn't really get over the hump the 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 pack eight at that point in time was really divvied up everybody was kind of winning titles here and there here and there mckay changed that turned him into tailback you had the greats like mike garrett oj simpson charles davis wham bam cunningham i mean they he had the tailbacks really going had that eye formation student body left and right uh, and then he went off to the NFL, coached a couple of years in the National Football League. So John McKay makes my list at number 10. All right, very good. My number 10, I am going down to Tallahassee. I've got Bobby Bowden of Florida State here at, at number 10. Uh, finished with a record of 304-97-4 and and at FSU. A couple of national championships, 43-year run, and then... Uh, I think the most astounding number is once the the Knowles joined the ACC in 1992, Florida State won 12 of 14 of those titles. So Bobby Bowden, uh, two Heisman winners, a couple of national championships, and and obviously a a great run there with Florida State, 377 wins for the Seminole himself. So I've got uh, Bowden at number 10. My number 10, I've got Walter Camp. That's right, going way back to the 1800s for this one. And, yeah, it's definitely difficult to quantify, to kind of measure how, how do you stack up someone who coached uh, before the dawn of the 20th century uh, versus modern day. Uh, but really, when you look at Walter Camp, won three national titles, 1888, 1891, and 1892 at Yale. Uh, overall record was 67-2. Not bad. But really, uh, the reason why I have him on here isn't necessarily for that on-the-field success, but he was kind of the you know father, if you will, of American football. He invented the down system, the line of scrimmage. So really, um, without him, you don't have uh, football as we know it. Uh, and also, by the time of his death, he had written like nearly 30 books. He was also a sports writer. So he was hugely developmental in not just kind of the sport and the rules, but also culturally what it was. Um, But yeah, a legendary coach of the Yale Bulldogs and Walter Camp, my number 10. All right, my number nine, I'm going Woody Hayes, the... uh the controversial head coach at Ohio State, they list five national titles. I think there would they would get some dispute from some of the other people that he did win five national titles. A lot of people in the 50s and 60s were claiming national titles. 
from different varieties, not just AP or UPI. They did a lot of different organizations. And so I, I kind of put a little asterisk by those five. But 238 wins, he's revered around Ohio State football, but boy did it come to a halting end when he slugged the Clemson player in the Gator Bowl uh, that caused the end of his career. Maybe would have been higher on my list had he not done that, but that's a pretty big stain on his resume. Uh, But I do have Woody making my list at number nine. Won't be the last time we hear the worst stain on this list, I don't think. My number right. nine, Greg, uh, was your number 10. I've got McKay from USC here. You think about that era of Los Angeles sports, right? You had uh, the Rams, you had the Dodgers, you had the Lakers, but USC football was really popular at that time too, and I think it's a big uh, tip of the cap to John McKay for getting the Trojans to that point to where they were uh, a big thing in a, in a pro sports market. So um, the national championships that he won, I think he sent uh, 11 of his players into the College Football Hall of Fame. So John McKay, definitely worthy of a spot. I have a number nine. Uh, my number nine, I've got, uh, well, the first Husker coach on my list, uh, Fielding Yost. Uh, now, he wasn't primarily known for coaching the Cornhuskers. In fact, back then they were known as the Bug Eaters uh, when he was there. Uh, but for his work at Michigan, he won 165 games, uh, lost just 29 while he was there. That's a winning percentage of like 83%. Uh, he won four straight national championships from 1901 to 1904, and he won two more in 1918 and 1923. And yeah, it was before the poll era. Yeah, those national championships, um, a lot of those riders never traveled past uh, South Bend, so they, they never knew uh, what was going on uh, on the West Coast. But still, um, a really impressive um, figure in the history of college football and, of course, has those Nebraska ties. So my number nine, Fielding Yost. Okay. On we go up the list to number eight for me. And here's where I've got Joe Pa. Talk about a stain. Obviously, a a weird ending for him by not speaking out more on Jerry Sandusky. But he turned this sleepy school in western Pennsylvania into a college football power from 1966 to 2011 won 409 football games and two national titles i think he's a good man he he aired he should have he should have been more attentive to what was going on with that whole situation with sandusky and if had he been i might have had him a little higher than eight but still a heck of a career at penn state so i've got joe pot eight amazing what one decision can affect of 60 years of coaching you know just truly amazing Um, All right, my number eight has not yet been mentioned, and I'm going down to Oklahoma here for number eight, and Barry Switzer, 157 wins, 29 losses. Um, Obviously known for his rivalry at uh, at Nebraska with Coach Osborne, but very tough program, great recruiter, um, blunt, honest, (laughs) borderline cocky, uh, three national championships, 12 Big Eight titles, and – a nice run from 73 to 88. So I've got Barry Switzer here at number eight. Uh, my number eight, Greg, you already had him. Woody Hayes, uh, legendary Ohio State coach, uh, won 13 Big Ten titles as long as with his uh, five national titles. But, of course, it did end in disgrace when he socked a Clemson player in the throat, basically, in the 78 Gator Bowl, uh, which led to his dismissal. But uh, it was good while it lasted uh, for Ohio State. Woody Hayes, tremendous coach, but uh, not so much a uh, mm. nice guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right, my number seven was Ben's eight. That's where I got Barry Switzer. All right, my number seven was Greg's nine, Tim's eight. I've got Woody Hayes here at number seven, Buckeye legend. And, you know, he in, uh, still gets quoted, still names still all over that campus and 
um, you know, again, one bad decision kind of ruining, you know, his legacy to a lot of people outside of the state of Ohio. But Woody Hayes, worthy of a spot at seven. My number seven, I've got Glenn Pop Warner. Again, one of the sports great innovators, along with guys like Walter Camp and Fielding Yost. Um, he was known really for the single and double wing uh, formations, which were kind of like precursors to the shotgun uh he also uh not not, i'm not sure if he invented it but he really implemented the three-point stance quite a bit he won four national titles uh three with Pitt, one with stanford and he won well over 300 games another guy who uh was one of those early titans of the sport and you still hear about pop warner football um you know his his legacy continues to impact uh how football is being shaped so a guy who uh is not just known for his tremendous work on the field but but how he was able to shape the game. So my number seven, uh, Glenn Pop Warner. Have you had a guy yet that's had a game on TV? (laughs) They're coming. (laughs) They're coming. I did some digging in the archives. I had to dust off some old library books, uh, do some research. I guess you did you did have Woody Hayes. He 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 had a few games on the in yeah. the television era of college football. So you did you did have him. All right, my number six, uh, Ben had at ten. Here's Bobby Bowden for me. Two hundred thirty eight wins. Uh, started his career uh, was a head coach at West Virginia before going to Florida State. Florida State was a what we would call kind of a mid-major school until Bobby Bowden got there and then turned them into a really, really good top-notch, top-of-the-level program in the country. And his mantra when he first got to FSU was, we'll play anybody anywhere, and he did. And he went, and then he started beating people, including Nebraska. They came, brought some of his earlier teams uh, to Lincoln to play Tom Osborne and the Huskers. And they were really not anything until he got there. And by the late 70s, he had turned FSU into a really competent football program. Two national titles later, definitely a Hall of Fame coach. Bowden for me at number six. Absolutely. My number six, Greg, was your eight. I've got Joe Pa here. Again, uh, hard to separate the, the end of really his life to – um, how about this? 16 years as an assistant before he was the head coach there. So not only did he coach there for a billion years, 16 years. Think think about that for, in terms of Husker football, yeah. right? Like that that back at 2004, that that would be how long he was an assistant. And then think about how long he was a head coach there. Two national championships in the 80s, but. I mean, it was clear that, you know, the, 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 not only his health, but the stress of the Sandusky scandal, it, it killed him, guys. I mean, two months yeah, later, yeah. He, after he was fired, he, he couldn't handle it and, and passed away. And just um, the, the HBO documentary on, on Joe Paterno, you wonder how real some of those conversations were uh, without any cameras or anything, uh, but really well done and shed, shed some light on that program. I'm going to be honest, Greg, I still get the heebie-jeebies sometimes when I'm mm-hmm. in state college. I still think about that all the time, and the people there do too, but – um, as a coach, 409 wins, 136 losses, 1966 to 2011. Just an absolutely uh, absurd run for Joe Pond State College. Well, my number six, you guys have already had him, uh, St. Bobby uh, of Florida State. Yeah, talk about a guy who's got a long tenure. He was there from 1976 all the way until 2009. That's quite a run. And even then, he had some other stints, uh, I believe, uh, at some other schools. So he guy was a, a tremendous coach, definitely a winner. Um, I, their official record, I know they had some of those uh, wins vacated uh, for some uh, violations, but uh, still – you don't we don't win like well over 300 games without being a decent coach Uh, he's a tremendous tremendous coach probably not fondly remembered uh around these parts but again uh still a tremendous coach 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of respect between Bowden and, and Osborne, obviously, and I think they're pretty good friends to this day. My number five, I'm going back to this is the oldest coach on my list, and, and that's Bud Wilkinson, the long time, not the long time coach, but the head coach at Oklahoma who had two incredible runs where he had a 31-game winning streak and a 47-game winning streak, which is still the standard in uh, major college football. 47 straight wins. That was in an era where they might have played nine games a year. So you think about it, that, that's over a five-year period without losing a football game. He retired at the age of 47, did Bud Wilkinson, and then he ended up going to TV. He was a TV color analyst for a lot of the ABC big games of the week. So he, did, he was on TV for, oh, probably about a decade or so during the 70s, but man, what could he coach? And a lot of people were excited when he finally stepped down to give a chance in the old big, the big A conference at that time. Man, you and I are kind of just ping-ponging right off of each other's backs here, Greg. I've got Wilkinson here at number five as well. And you're right, the magic number 47. 47 straight wins, Ooh, stepped down at age 47. Um, but, yeah, and, and, and obviously started in Oklahoma at 1947, uh, all the way up to 63. But, yeah, really got that thing going in Norman and – uh, man, you think about Bud Wilkinson, then piggyback from Barry Switzer. It's no secret why Oklahoma was able to lay the framework of such great tradition, just like we were here at Nebraska. Well, my number five, yep, another Sooner. You guys already had him, Barry Switzer uh, of Oklahoma. Three national championships. I mean, really their worst season, if you could even call it that, was in 1981 when they won seven games and they won the Sun Bowl. Uh, that was probably their worst stretch <laughs> when he was there, and uh, that ain't bad. Um, they, won a, they won countless conference championships as well in the Big Eight. Uh, went 12-5 and five against Nebraska. Uh, you know, in Nebraska, obviously, they were no pushovers, uh, and that was when Osborne was there. They, that's a tremendous record against the Cornhuskers, and of course, he even had that Super Bowl title, I believe, with the Cowboys. So uh, a man can coach, uh, and they, that was a tremendous uh, stint he had uh, with OU. So Barry Switzer, my number five. Can you guys think of anybody else that would have won a national title in college football in a Super Bowl ring? I, I, don't, no. I don't know. There might be. Jimmy Johnson, I, right? Or did he, he actually win he, it? He never – well, yeah, you're right. Jimmy Johnson would, would fit in that category too, but that might be – and both Cowboys coaches, right? I mean, they both yeah. both did it in the pros of the did Dallas Parcells, Cowboys. Was he no. at Stanford? No, okay. No, never won a national championship in college football. Might be just those two guys. Uh, pretty remarkable. All right, my number four, Tom Osborne, the uh, legendary Nebraska coach, three national titles, 255 total wins, just the longevity of it for T.O. and the consistency of winning nine, ten games a year after year after year, finally busting that door down in 94 with a national title and ran a squeaky clean program here in Nebraska. So Tom Osborne, number four on my list. Oh, real quick, Austin wants to remind us Pete Carroll is also in that illustrious list. Yep. Way to go, Austin. Pat yourself on the back for contributing to the segment here tonight. <laughs> My number four, uh, I've got Urban Meyer here at number four. Uh, I know the, the, again, longevity, Greg said, of Tom Osborne doesn't necessarily have that, but what he does have is a winning record of 85.4%. How about this? This is an interesting fact. Two undefeated seasons in his college coaching career for Urban Meyer, none of those two resulting in a national championship. Uh, as one of them came with Utah, never got a shot at it uh, when when they weren't invited to the BCS in 04. And the other undefeated season he had was when Ohio State was ineligible for the postseason. So two undefeated seasons for Urban, no national championships, but he does finish with three total, 06 and 08 with Florida, 2014 with Ohio State. Another astounding number on Urban Meyer. All the years coaching in college, he never had a season worse than 8-5. and five. 
So just a model of consistency, and there's a reason why the Jacksonville Jaguars could pay him upwards of $12 million a year to be their head coach in the NFL. Not bad. Uh, well, my number four, I've got uh, the guy who, you, when you think college football coach, this is the guy that comes to mind, Paul Bear Bryant of Alabama. Six national championships, won over 320 games. Uh, he's just football personified. You see those old ESPN classic games of him pacing the sideline with his fedora on. Um, they won 13 conference titles. He spent like a quarter of a century uh, with the Crimson Tide. And, and, you know, he just, again, gives off this aura of confidence. And when you see him on the opposite sideline, you, you think that you're probably in for some trouble uh, if you're the other team. So uh, my number four, Paul Bear Bryant. Well, thank you, Tim, for putting me on the last <laughs> That's how he talked, real slow and draw, and you can hardly understand what the heck he would say. All right, uh, my number three, Eddie Robinson, the legendary coach from Grambling, 408 wins. Go back and look at the guys he put in the National Football League in the 50s and 60s when a lot of schools in the South weren't using black players on their teams well they all went to places like grambling and he just pumped out player after player into the nfl and the afl at that time um, just a peach of a man as well but head coach from 41 to 97 at grambling remarkables eddie robinson makes my list of number three yeah man just just an icon i, I did not have him on my list but more than worthy of a top 10 spot my opinion. My number three, Greg, you had him a moment ago. I've got T.O. here at number three. Uh, again, longevity to follow a legend the way that he did. A place like Nebraska to win those national championships and, and almost win another one. The, I mean, the way that he went out is as iconic as you could have for a college football coach. Three out of four and very easily could have been four out of four to finish. So uh, T.O., my number three, and uh, – Wish we could turn the program around to back when he was uh, when he was in charge because that's what everybody wants. My number three, yep, Ben, you just had it. Uh, Tom Osborne, one of college football's finest, picked up right where Devaney left off. Uh, really, still had set that standard that the Huskers are still hoping to to live up to one day. And and uh, but he was a tremendous, tremendous football coach and tremendous person as well. Uh, had the opportunity to interview him a couple of years ago um, for one of our affiliate stations, and and he's just an absolute gentleman and, and a great person. And of course, one of college football's best coaches of all time. All right. Top two, right? That's right. Yeah, number two. All right, my number two, Tim had earlier. Here's where I've got the bear. Six national titles, coached at Maryland. There's a little trivia for you. Only hey, I think hey. it was one year at Maryland. Kentucky, Texas A&M, and then made his hay at Alabama. 323 total wins. Uh, the Paul Bear Bryant, my number two. Bear Bryant for me, number two as well. Just, uh, I mean, not very often anymore can you – just have one piece of article of clothing and know exactly who it's meant for, right? I mean, that's how big of an icon <laughs> yeah. he was. So I've got the bear here at number two. Uh, my number two, I've got Urban Meyer. Uh, man was just dominant every stop. Ben already gave you a bunch of numbers. How about this? When he was at Ohio State, a conference record of 54-4. and four. Uh, that is absolutely uh, obscene. And if it were not for that that health issue, that brain cyst he had, that, that hampered his progress at Florida and, and, of course, ended his career early at Ohio State, he probably would still be pacing the sideline in Columbus. But uh, as the rumor mill suggests, he might take the job in Jacksonville. So very curious to see what happens with Urban Meyer. And he might, who knows, maybe he finds his way back in the college ranks one day. We shall see. But my number two, Urban Meyer. Okay. 
Nobody's had Dabo yet. Hmm? All right, uh, my number one. He he's eleven. Saban. Okay, <laughs> my number one's Nick Saban. He goes to one with that win last night. The seven titles now shoves him over the top of Bear to do it in this year where college football has become such big business. Pretty impressive to do that. I don't think there's any doubt. He's the the elite coach from this era of college football, and he's my number one all time. Oh. Number one as well. The, the the most amazing stat that I've read over the past uh, 24 hours. How about this? Every single player he's recruited to Alabama has won a national championship. Why don't you think about that one for a second? Oh. Hmm. Wow. That is nuts. Uh, well, my number one, uh, I'm not going to throw any curveballs. Uh, I don't have any more 18, you know, coaches from the 20th century left. Uh, uh, Got to go with Nick Saban. Um, just unreal, the success he's had. Yeah, his stints at Michigan State and with the Dolphins probably won't go down the record books, but what he did with LSU and now with Alabama, uh, he's not even close to being done yet, I don't think. he's He's got a few more years left in him. Uh, he's got seven total titles right now, national championships. Uh, he's probably got a couple more left in him. And uh, to be a, this good of a coach during this era, probably the most competitive era that college football has ever known, um, it, it is just unquestionable that he is the best college football coach that has ever been. Very good. be interesting to talk to some Ohio State people and see how they would rank Urban with Woody. Which, which order would they yeah. go in? There, That would be fun to hear what they think on that. We're back on a Tuesday night sports finally here on the Husker Sports Network. Coming up on Friday at the Devaney Center, the Husker women's gymnastics team will be again their 2021 season against the Fighting Illini. Joining us now is Husker women's coach Heather Brink. Good evening, coach. How the heck are you? I'm hanging in there, guys. How about you? Fantastic. It's good to hear your voice. It's been months since we've talked. What <laughs> what have the last month or two been like for you and your team? Well, I mean, we've just been busy keeping our nose down and, and training and, um, you know, a little uncertainty as far as what the schedule would look like uh, up, up until about, oh, I don't know, maybe two, two and a half weeks ago. We weren't even sure. Um what our first meet would be, where it would be, all of that good stuff. But, um, you know, I think they're motivated to, to have a season and, you know, just excited for the opportunity to kind of pick up um, where we left off and, and be able to continue to try to build from there for sure. You know, Coach, for some of the sports, like, like volleyball is completely competing in a different time of the year for them and swimming and diving. But for your sport, you're, you're kind of on schedule, right? I mean, I know you're not maybe having a, a normal type of schedule, but at least this is about the time you would start, correct? That's correct. That's correct. We normally start at the beginning of January. I think we're about one week later than what we normally start at. Um, and, and the rest of the season for us is um, – other than being in-conference-only opponents, uh, the rest of the season is, is pretty normal for us. Um, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, just one day at a time and, and picking up, um, you know, and being able to control what you can control, right? And uh, I think those have been kind of the, the hurdles to, to overcome looking forward into the season. You know, let's talk about the 21 Huskers. This is a lot of names I'm not familiar with. Michaela Curtis, I am. She's one of your seniors on this team. But tell me about this group. We do have a lot of new faces on the team. We've got uh, six freshmen. We've got um, one transfer who's a junior. uh, And the rest of them are returners. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're excited for for these freshmen to get in and be able to compete. Um, You know, I think they're excited and kind of chomping at the bit to get into the Devaney Arena uh, and really showcase kind of their talents. I mean, for them, their season was last year also cut short um, at about the same time ours was cut short. So I think, you know, they're all hanging on to that hunger for the competition coming up this Friday. Uh, the seniors are kind of leading at the helm here. Um, they'll be able to provide provide some uh, routines and some consistency and, and leadership for us uh, in leading kind of our new faces on the team. But uh, really excited to see where this team kind of builds and, and goes together on their journey. What have you seen from their skill level as you practice and get ready for the season? You know, I think the, the biggest thing for us is we didn't really have as much uh, preseason training as, as we would normally have. Like gymnastics is a year-round sport, so a lot of times mm-hmm. the athletes are training even in the off-season. It's just um, how, how our sport works. Uh, we were shut down in, I think, late March, uh, and the athletes uh, really didn't have an opportunity to get a lot of time in to increase their skill level per se um, as much as maybe I think originally they – they or we hoped for but I think you know I think it's picking up what they're capable of doing um, and being able to perform that at the best of their ability Uh, the freshmen themselves bring bring some talent and add some depth for us um, on a few of a few of the events Um, and I think you'll see some of that consistency and that fight uh, in them to to be able to help deliver in our competitions for us under those you know hard pressure situations Busy with Husker women's gymnastics coach Heather Brink here on Sports Sunday. They open their season Friday against Illinois, four o'clock at the Devaney Center. Do you have a? Are you solid with your rotation right now, or do you still have some question marks? Is it going to take you a couple of competitions to lock this in? Where are you at with this team, with not having been around them as much? Yeah, you know, I think I think there's definitely some. Um, I. I don't want to say question marks. I think we have the confidence in what our our freshmen and our newcomers definitely bring to the table. I think we know what they're they're capable of doing. Obviously, we've been in the gym training, and and, um, we we see them on a regular basis and know what they can provide for us. Um, Now, adding the pressure on top of that to deliver in a one-time situation, that's where it becomes like, okay, how are they going to handle that pressure, and how do they handle – um, you know, the nerves and, and all of those kinds of things. Those are some of the question marks. Um, but, you know, I think, like I said at the beginning, we're just trying to take each day and each meet um, kind of at one thing at a time, right? It's, it's going to be a starting point on Friday. Um, we'll be able to kind of assess where we're at. We've had, we have had some in-house, quote-unquote, um, inter-squads or scrimmages. Uh, and so we've been able to, you know, kind of test them a little bit, but you just really don't get that full um, experience until you're kind of out there on the competition floor. So, again, just looking forward to, we're excited to have the competition. I'm excited to kind of see that adrenaline kind of flowing in them um, and, and to be able to enjoy that moment with them, especially after the end of last last season, to just be able to take what we have, enjoy each competition for what it's worth. And, uh, and continue to just utilize our platform to be able to grow as, as people, but also be able to um, grow and, and evolve as a team on this, on this uh, you know, on the season. 
Coach, how much how much discipline has it required for your your team to to keep themselves safe, to try to keep themselves, you know, separated from a lot of people that could maybe pass along a virus? I mean, I'm sure that's that's tested the discipline of every every college athlete right now, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think you go to college and you, you know, you fully expect a a full collegiate uh, experience and that's, you know, being able to be around your friends and, and, uh, you know, experience, um, you know, college life in general. And, and, and that has put a little bit of a, you know, like, uh, like you said, discipline factor on them and, and accountability factor of, look, you, you know, we, we've got things that we or goals that we have in mind. And, and right now, some of that requires a little extra sacrifices. Um, but, you know, kind of keeping in mind what that goal is. I know their their vision for the beginning of the year was one team, one dream and, and kind of understanding moving forward that that every sacrifice and everything that I'm doing and holding myself accountable to, um, you know, keeping myself safe and and um is important for for me as an athlete, but also for my teammates um, and the season that we've made all these sacrifices for. So I think they're doing a really great job. It's been, um, you know, up and down and questions and, and um, you know, it's stressful. It's, it's hard at a young uh, adult life to have all these things. And we're saying, don't do that and don't do this. And you can't go here and you can't go there. Uh, go get tested, all those things. So, yeah, it can get old, but I think they realize, um, you know, the season's upon us and they, you know, they want to have a successful season and they want to be able to enjoy that season. So I think they understand what those sacrifices are for um, and and what they're, you know, kind of working towards. What's it been like for you and the staff? I mean, you have been trained in having to deal with a pandemic. I mean, this this has to be crazy (laughs) for you as a coach, too. Well, it's definitely uncharted territories for sure. Uh, I think there's been plenty of discussions uh, in our in our offices with with the staff. Is you know like, oh, what do we do about this? And have we thought through this procedure? And what about this protocol? And how do we how do we sanitize the mats? And how do we um, you know keep the athletes um, you know distanced? And uh, all of those kinds of things have have led to some really in depth conversations of of things that you've never really had to had to think about and and how do you in an environment where you're training to be successful um and and the hard work and and everything that they're putting the sweat that you know everything in the gym how how do you do that within this pandemic i mean nobody's done it you have you have nowhere to go you have nowhere to seek those answers um except for to do it together as a group so i think you know it's it's been good in the sense it's it's forced um even more deeper and heavier conversations and really for all of us to kind of rely on each other so um i'm proud of the staff i'm proud of our team um looking like i said looking forward to just kind of getting the season going this is the best time of the year for us i know we're all excited um to just get out there and, and be able to enjoy it together. Fantastic. Can't wait. Friday, Illinois, 4 o'clock at the Devaney Center. Coach, always great to catch up. We'll be following the progress, and we'll be checking Absolutely. in with you during the season. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Go Big Red.